Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors and Tax Depreciation Super Nerd. Here we have episode two, or let's say part two, of our episode on flipping with industry guru, buyer's agent, Henny Steer. We were talking with Henny about the types of properties that you can make money on with flipping. And in this episode, we talk a little bit more about the risks. So to continue the conversation, here's Henny. Henny Steer, thanks for joining me back on Geared for Growth. My pleasure. So in part one, we were talking about what flipping is, whether we think it's going to increase with stamp duty changes, you know, why it became popular, the types of properties and some of the mistakes, I wanted to get you back because it felt like we were absolutely mid-conversation in this. And we were just talking about properties where it's kind of in between, right? So there's a lot of land value, but there's a house there and it's like, do I knock it down? It's a little bit too good. But then if I rent it out, you know, to be fair to the tenant, we've got to do something to it. Those are the types of properties where you think there's some good buying. And I guess in the flipping, a lot of the money is made on the entry, right? Absolutely. And buying the wrong property to flip to begin with is often part of the problem when people can't do it successfully. They just pick the wrong asset to begin with. Yeah. And as a an expert buyer's agent to the stars, what sort of secret trade craft are you happy to share with listeners about, you know, trying to get one of these properties, you know, under what it might be a market value? And is that just a thing that people say, like things don't happen under market value anymore? Look, it's getting harder and harder, certainly in Sydney, to get anything under market value. And I hate to sound like I'm an opportunistic vulture, but you know, the Ds, right? Deaths, divorces, you know, people who are sick, you know, a disease, right? So the triple Ds of being able to buy well, and certainly buying well is really key to a successful flip because if you buy under market, you're already halfway there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and obviously we talk about not buying the wrong property to begin with. And some people go, well, you know what? That house is the cheapest house I can find. I'll buy it and flip it and make a ton of money, except they've bought on a really busy road. Yeah. And on a really busy road, you can overcapitalize. And also then the, the buyer pool for that house is so narrow because not a lot of people want to buy a very, very nicely done up house on a busy road. Yeah, exactly. So, so you've sort of picked the wrong asset because you're focusing on the bargain of buying. You're almost better off finding a really good asset, paying up a fair market price for it, or even a slight premium if you can get away with it, and then doing a very good flip and selling it to you know a buyer pool that is not so conscious about price, but are conscious about quality. And when we talk about those properties like on the main road, these are properties that do sell well when the market is going gangbusters, right? Because people miss out. There's only so much on and people have just got that FOMO and desperate to get in. But if the market turns, you can potentially amplify your risks by purchasing a property that doesn't attract to you know, the majority of people, right? Absolutely. And not only that, you have to bear in mind that people buy on a busy road because they have a lower budget and they can't afford to buy off a main road. Mm. So if you're then, you know, completely flipping this property to, you know, within an inch of its life and everything's done and it's, and then you're expecting a premium for it. Well, your buyers aren't there because those buyers with that budget don't want to be on a main road. Yeah. So you, then you've completely misread you know, the situation. Yeah, that's interesting. So those people that have got that extra budget that would get them a, a completely renovated place in that location would probably rather have a slightly unrenovated, not as shiny place in, say, a lovely little leafy cul-de-sac rather than the busy Correct. road, right? Correct. And the people who 
have to buy on a main road don't have the budget to pay for the nicely done up version. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, you mentioned before that you you hadn't really seen anyone killing it in the flipping game in and around sort of your area, but you've obviously been involved in the property industry for a long time. Of the people that you have been successful, what would you sort of categorise about them? What makes them good at turning a property over and making money? Luck is <laughs> a big part of it, to be honest. Um, look, I think buying well is really key. So a lot of agents do very well out of flipping properties because they can spot good buying from a mile away. Yeah. And they're usually the first at the door to, to try and buy that property, right? But certainly increasingly being able to read the market. So in Sydney, for example, a lot of the flips are actually knockdown rebuilds. So mm. people buy them. Within nine months, they turn around and put a brand new massive house on it because the target market is such that they like things that are project home floor plan, double lockup garage, internal access. So they're just reading the market very well and they understand what the current sort of popular needs are. So being able to read that market very well is important. And how would you get that intel? Obviously, a real estate agent's going to see that because they're seeing the rental inquiry within their office. They're seeing the properties that sell with three days on market as opposed to 180. How could a mere individual gain that kind of insight? You know, if you sort of ingratiate yourself to real estate agents, are they likely to help you with that sort of thing? You know, if it's really good chance, they would want to buy it themselves. Yeah. But um, look, to be honest, it's very difficult in Sydney because most people are pretty savvy, you know, and if there's a good opportunity, usually there's sort of a buyer, you know, or a line of buyers waiting for it. So to be honest, it's, it's really difficult to get hold of these deals. And I hate to sound like I'm tooting the horn of buyers agents, but buyers agents is one of the main ways that you get access to these deals, right? Mm. Because the buyers agents have eased the ground. They know what's coming up. You know, they know which person is about to move into a retirement home, all of these things that do sound quite opportunistic, but that is just the reality of the of the Sydney real estate market. I'll do some of your spruiking for you because I'm a big fan of buyer's agents. I, I would advocate them on, on every purchase, whether owner or, or investment. And some of that is a bit of a beat up though, right? Because, you know, you often hear people sort of saying, oh, you know, we get access to all these off markets. And just because it's off market doesn't mean it's a good deal. But just by virtue of being in the marketplace and going to the open homes and seeing all the properties all the time, you get a real innate feel for the value of something. And you also do get relationships with agents. And maybe that might mean you get to see it a little bit earlier. But if it doesn't, they get used to working with you and they know how you negotiate and they know if you're putting an offer in, you know, you've done the due diligence, the buyer's ready to go. And, you know, I suppose there's a camaraderie of the deal, right? Absolutely. And also it's just, you know, sometimes you just have to be in the right place at the right time. And if you're just, a, you know, looking on domain at home now and then scrolling, you know, you might miss these opportunities because you're not actually actively out there all of the time and putting mm. yourself out there. Now, if you were trying to generate as much sort of property wealth as quickly as you could, let's say only in the residential space and, and let's say we're taking development out of the equation, do you think flipping is a strategy for people that are just sort of desperate to grow their portfolio quickly, you know, ignoring the risks? Is it going to outpace buying sort of quality blue chip properties that have capital growth potential? Do you, do you think there is a case for flipping? There is if the stars are aligned. So, you know, if you buy at the bottom and then you sell when the market's going up, yes, you know, it's much easier to ride that wave, right? But if you're in a climate with interest rates going up, 
you know, building construction cost delays. You know, I ordered a fridge in January and it was supposed to come sort of, you know, this month. And I've just been told it's arriving in January next year. So it's a year to order a fridge, you know. So in these sort of environment, then it's a little bit riskier. I think there are certain climates that are easier to flip in than others. And you ask about the secret of people who are successful at flipping. They're the ones who are able to read that market mm. and read the sentiment you know, of the broader population and, and understand what is a good flip, when is a good flip. So with the market that we're in at the moment, and this episode may go out a little bit later, but we're sort of talking August, September at, at the moment, the market is in decline pretty much across the whole country at the moment with the perhaps, you know, further interest rate rises, there's certainly the threat of them. Eventually, the world's not going to end and prices will go up again. When we start seeing those green shoots, so let's say we see one or two months in a row of positive median house price growth, would that be the planets aligning and the perfect time to be looking for that sort of deal? Or is it better to to try and get before those green shoots? Because as soon as the green shoots are in the media, we're already delayed, right, with the data? Yeah, I mean, if you are in trades, for example, and you're not reliant on a whole bunch of people to do the work for you, any time could be a fairly good time to do the work itself, right? Obviously, buying well, you have to read, you know, the timing a little bit. And yes, it's true. By the time it's reported in the media, usually it's a little bit too late. And again, we go back to buyers agents who are out there, you know, my teams, you know, inspect like 50 properties, physically inspect 50 properties a week. So we are usually very sensitive to the smallest changes, you know, whether it's how people's faces look at auctions, you know, Mm. are they looking like they just have arms crossed across their body or are they a little bit more bullish? You know, all these things are not reported in the media until many months later. So if you want to buy well, you need to read the changes as early as you can. Always makes me nervous hanging around you buyers, Aiden. So I feel like you could just read me like a cheap novel. (laughs) (laughs) You got to be careful with your body language. (laughs) It's true. But, but also, you know, Mike, don't forget also that the risk in flipping, you know, you you ask, you know, can people do it successfully? Absolutely. But also the ATO is cracking down on this. You know, because they've realized over the last sort of three to five years, there's been more and more and more of these going on. Yeah. Um, and the ATO is going, okay, you know, just because you're calling it your principal place of residence and you're living there doesn't mean that you don't have to pay tax on your gains. Yeah. Right. So people need to be very careful about that because there's a lot of assumption that if you live in the property and you just change your driver's license address, change your Medicare address to the new property and you live there for six months and you sell it and you make it, you know, $1 million, $2 million, whatever it is you make, you don't have to pay tax on it. But the tax law does not allow you to flip a property tax-free even if you are living in it. The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximize their claims and maximize their property education as well. Yeah, right. And is that something that a lot of people understand, do you think? They probably kind of know, but they sort of don't want to acknowledge it. Yeah. And the, the reasoning is people probably thinking, who is going to know? 
you know, whether, because it, it, the way the ATO sees it, it comes down to one word. It comes down to intent. Yes, yeah. If your intent at the beginning was always to make money and then sell it, then you are liable for the CGT, right? Mm. And people are thinking, yes, that's my intent, but I'm also kind of living in it. Therefore, you know, it shouldn't apply to me, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but the ATO rules are pretty clear around this and they do look at, your intention when you buy the property, but they also look at a pattern of behavior. So if you're changing principal place of residence every year or two a year or even one every two years and you're doing it and making a huge amount of money each time, there's a pattern of behavior there that they're mm. going to look at closely. Yeah, and, and that's a, a similar parallel to when we talk about scrapping from the depreciation point of view. So people might remember you used to be able to claim you know, the residual value of assets as they're kind of thrown in the bin and now that mm. sort of doesn't exist so much anymore with legislation changes that happen around plant and equipment. But the tax office always says, well, to do that, you had to have the intention to rent the property as is rather than the intention to chuck things out straight away. And how do you prove an intention? Well, you actually do the thing. You sign, say, a management agreement or something like that. But it is a little bit of a, a grey area, right? But the ATO are getting much more sophisticated on this. And and like you say, with patterns of behavior, this can can often sort of fall into a category where you're doing so much of this flipping stuff that you could be considered a business as well, which is going to open you up to even more uh, tax liability, I would assume, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because if you're flipping brand new houses and you're buying land, knocking down the house, selling it in nine months, and, and in, in Sydney, you can comfortably make a million dollars each time you do that, right? Mm. Then you should be charging GST as well, yeah. you know? So, you know, this is all pretty clear from the ATO's point of view. I think they are cracking down on it because of how much of it has been going on in the last three to five years. Yeah. Now, we've talked about stamp duty. We've talked about ATO issues, construction costs, your fridge a year. (laughs) It's going to be so exciting when you pull that first, you know, beautiful cold Chardonnay or whatever you you poison out of it. (laughs) I'll have to join you, join you for that. It'll be an emotional time. Let's sort of finish this this two-part series with the risks of flipping. I, I think of a whole, we've been quite negative on flipping but I think for good reason because there are a lot of risks I mean you have said yourself there are certainly times where you can make good money it's often in the premium end not necessarily the the more achievable areas where people would typically go but I think understanding the risks is really really important and and there are ways to make money in property that don't have to include renovating them right so what would you categorize as the the biggest things that you would want people to know before they go and throw their hard-earned at a project? Look, I think it's miscalculating timing, miscalculating costs. And a lot of people actually are doing this sort of as a side hobby, but you do need to be quite a sophisticated investor to do flipping well. And I do think you have a definite advantage if you have the real estate background or a trades background, because that helps to mitigate a lot of the risk, the overpaying for the for the purchase in the first place or buying the wrong asset or the costs in construction. All of those risks go down significantly if you're of a certain type of buy and flipper. Yeah. But certainly, you know, there are a lot of risks that you can't foresee necessarily. So if you're doing a flip on a heritage conservation area, again, that's a very, very niche type of flip because you, you need to do a development application through council. It's it's a different kettle of fish altogether. You could be faced, for example, with neighbors objecting your DA. Mm. 
you know, mm. and, and that's that's something that perhaps you didn't anticipate and you might not be able to do what you want to do with that property and you have to sell it, you know. So so there's quite a lot of unknown X factors that's hard to predict. The bigger the flip. Mm. Certainly the flips, like if you're starting out, I would suggest you do a smaller flip. So do the units because that's just kitchen, bathroom, flooring, laundry, pretty straightforward, window dressing. You can sort of cap the, the costs to that. Your profit isn't going to be huge because there is a price ceiling on these types of properties. As I mentioned, you know, people who buy a very nicely done two bedroom, they're not going to want to spend more than what they could get a three bedroom for. Yeah. But you need to start small, test it out, you know, create a network of good tradespeople that you can count on, good accountants, you know, um, good legal representative, good buyer's agent, you know, so all these things, you need to create that from, from scratch. And you don't want to throw yourself into the deep end and then be forced into a situation where you have to sell and you have to be forced to liquidate. Mm, Yeah, that would be an absolute disaster. Not to mention, if you're undertaking this project Presumably, you might you could be a single person, but presumably you'd have a significant other, a husband or a wife or a partner mm. or something. If there's one thing that kind of is overrepresented in in relationship stress, it's a financial sort of thing, right? So it's a true test of a relationship. Yeah, these are risky projects, and if this is your first foray into property and you don't have a buffer or a backup, and you're forced to sell for a loss, that kind of needs to be factored in as well, right? Yeah, and, and and the damage that that does, you know, when you're working with a partner, it could, it, you know, sometimes it's even siblings, right, you know, going into it together mm. and there could be disagreements along the way, you know, and, and I think people see that romanticised in a lot of the of the documentaries and not documented films, you know, so yeah. whether it's in America and it's a husband and wife flipping um, on the block, it's often, you know, best friends or, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, that situation. Yeah. And then obviously three bird renovations, you know, three very good friends doing this together you know all these things sort of makes it look like it's really easy Mm. but the reality is they're not showing the things that don't go well and it's not their money either i mean it's easier to have a smile on your face as you know a wall falls down when when you're not responsible to the bank for the repayments on this thing absolutely but also don't forget that with the market growth we've had in the last three years I think a lot of people sort of overinflate their skill and they'll say, oh, wow, I've made, you know, X amount in just six months or 12 months by flipping. But the reality is that half of the profit is due to the exponential market growth and not due to the actual renovation itself. So if they had bought that property and done absolutely nothing to it, they probably still would have made good money in a one-year time frame if it was, you know, recent times, right? Yeah, if you bought in, say, March 2020 in in Sydney and you did a kitchen bathroom renovation and you sold it 12 months later, you could be forgiven for thinking, oh, all I did was a kitchen and bathroom renovation yes. and I made, you know, $300,000. Yeah. But the reality is if, if there was ever going to be a flipping world championships, it should be in a declining market, right? That's, that's the true test of a flipper. Absolutely. And I think it's hard to sort of um, quantify that, right? How much of it is market growth and how much of it is actually the value that you've manufactured and the value that you've added? Mm. Because you can make gains on the renovation and lose overall if the market is, you know, going down. So I think people need to not be too cocky about their abilities and not think that they're amazing for making a lot of money in a very short amount of time because it could be just luck that the market was riding, you know, they're riding the market at the right time. Mm, Confirmation bias. 
Well, yes. there's one thing that I'm sure everyone can agree on, Henny, and that's that you've added a tremendous amount of value to the podcast and to the listeners today. Thank you very much for joining me in the show, and I'd love to have you back another time. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. Cheers. <laughs>